Good afternoon and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to live from your true self through all of life's twists and turns. And you'll be challenged to lean into the mysteries of life to find your own deepest wisdom. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews. Good afternoon and welcome to the Authentic Living Show. I'm your host, Andrea Matthews. Are you one of the many people who provide soul care to other humans? Thomas More, best-selling author of Care of the Soul, comes again to the Authentic Living Show to discuss his latest book, Soul Therapy, the Art and Craft of Caring Conversations, in which he guides caregivers to therapy of the soul. He once taught us how to care for our own souls, and now he teaches how we may care for the souls of others. The category of soul givers includes all who provide care for others, including all manner of mental health therapists, caregivers and ministers, spiritual directors, and even friends and family. We often know how to advise, usually based on our own personal experience, which means that we tell others what we think they should do. But how do we reach and bring a soul to care for itself? Don't miss this profound conversation with Thomas More. And let me tell you a little bit about Thomas More. He's the author of the number one New York, best times, New York Times best-selling Care of the Soul. He's written 25 other books about bringing soul to personal life and culture, deepening spirituality, humanizing medicine, finding meaningful work, imagining sexuality with soul and doing religion in a fresh way. In his youth, he was a Catholic monk and studied music composition. He earned a PhD in religious studies from Syracuse University and was a university professor for a number of years. He's been a psychotherapist influenced mainly by Carl Jung and James Hillman. In recent years, he has in return to his role as a non-aligned theologian, publishing his translation of the New Testament Gospels, Writing in the Sand, Jesus' Spirituality and the Soul of the Gospels, and the Soul of Christmas. His most recent books are Ageless Soul and Soul Therapy. He lectures internationally and consults for organizations and individuals, and we are so grateful to have him here with us today. Welcome, Thomas, to the Authentic Living Show. Thank you, Andrea. I'm really happy to be with you again. Me too. Me too. I'm real glad to get to talk to you again. I love talking with you. So let's just jump right in there. Can you define what you mean uh, by soul therapy? I know that's the whole topic of the book, but if you could just kind of give us a definition of what, what is soul therapy. I think the uh, the best way to, to put it is that uh, this is therapy, but it's not about getting along in life uh, exactly. It's more about going deeper into uh, into just who you are and and what you're you know what you're called to do in your life and some of the obstacles that you've had to face in your life that have affected you very deeply. So when I call it soul therapy, it means it's deeper than deep. You know, it goes as far down as you can go to get to the essence of who you are. Very good. Thank you. Yes, that's a great definition. I like that a lot. It has everything to do with authentic living, doesn't it? Well, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So you talk a lot in the book about stories and myths, and I know those are two different things, but I just want to ask you, what, what, what do stories and myths have to do with soul therapy? Well, the, you know, we tell stories of our experiences. Uh, we tell them usually on a surface level. So we say what happened, and we try to have some, you know, some idea of what it's all about. 
But um, to get down to the real story, that takes some effort. Uh, so what I recommend in this book is uh, going beyond the surface stories and try to get a sense of uh, what a person's deep narrative is. What is it about them that has shaped their life? What story have they lived? Not just talk about, but what have they lived? And uh, in a sense, every person has a myth, just as a, a group of people, a people have a myth. Like the Native Americans have their mythic stories about how they came to be and who they are. I think individuals also have a myth to say who I am and at a deep level so that you get to the very mystery of who you are. And if you do that, then you have a chance of dealing with the problems that come along. Yeah, so they can see see through the myth their own their own souls. Yes, uh, because it's these deeper stories that really touch what's happening to a person. The superficial ones don't go far enough, and you can talk about them for years and still not touch what's important to you. So you have to have an ear. This is what I say in this book. That you, Everyone talks about good listening, but when I talk about listening, one of the things I mean is that you listen for the deepest stories that a person is telling. It's usually a story that they don't know they're telling. And so if you're a caretaker of some kind, if you are you know, a therapist or a counselor or someone who's close trying to help, one of the first things you do is try to hear the story within the story or the deeper story that's being told. Okay. Okay, so that would be something you would have to point out to them as you go through the as you go through your work together. Yes, I think you would because I don't think the person, most of us as individuals, can't we can't hear those deeper stories too well. But if a person's listening to us, they hear more than we say. You know, they get a, a deep, especially if that person has any training. It helps very much to uh, to be able to, for them to hear the story that is trying to be told. And if you give that feedback to the person, they get to, uh, to understand themselves better, to see themselves in a different way. Yeah, yeah, okay. Okay. So you would tell a story on top of their story so they could see their story. Yes, I might say, for example, there are different ways of doing it. One thing might, I might say, well... You've, you know, I hear the story they're telling about having trouble at work, and then I might mention, well, you know, you told me the story before of how your father had trouble with his work, and it seems like it's kind of in the family, you know, that this is going on. What do you think about that? Or I might say, well, this sounds like Cinderella. This is out of a fairy tale. I can use my knowledge of fairy tales to help them see, oh, yeah, that's what's happening to me, all right. Or I might use myth, mythology. And I might say something like, uh, well, this reminds me of Odysseus, who was, who was going from island to island trying to get home and find his way, and you seem to be on your own odyssey. Things like that. That's a way of using mythology, fairy tales, personal history, and so on to find the deeper story. Beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you. Uh, um, those examples are very helpful. Okay, so uh, therapists and clinicians, mental health clinicians of all type, talk about symptoms. But you see symptoms as a vehicle of change. Can you tell us what that means? Yes, this is a bit odd because uh, when I first heard it, I didn't quite understand it, but I've been practicing this now for many, many years. 
where when someone tells me the symptom they have, rather than go against the symptom, that is try to find a way to get rid of the symptom, what I do is try to go into the symptom in our conversation to see what is going on. What is this anyway? Like if someone says, uh, they say that uh, I really have a hard time keeping a job. That's the symptom. I can't keep a job. Instead of saying, well, do these things and maybe you'll have more luck, that would be going against the symptom in a way, trying to counter it to make things better. What I suggest is going into the symptom. And so what we do is try to, I might say, well, um, what a, maybe what's going on here? I mean, are these jobs you really want to have? Maybe it's, Maybe it might be useful for you to keep looking instead of being stuck in a job you don't you're not successful at. You see, I'm trying to go with the symptom there and saying, well, maybe it's trying to tell us something. Yeah. So it's your body, your mind, they're given information. And if we listen to the information, you'll have some direction. Yes, you have to listen carefully. Um, you, the thing is, it's so easy to be taken, you know, by the story that's being told. I think, n- not that people are trying to fool you or anything, but but um, you, I think you have to be able to hear the story at a, in a different way from the way the person is telling it. And to be able to do that and give a person a different point of view can be very useful. Mm, absolutely. So, we, you know, those of us who are in the mental health field uh, have heard the terms transference and countertransference. I'm not sure all of our listeners have heard those terms, but I, I know mm-hmm. we're, we're familiar with them. And they're kind of inevitable elements of interaction So on, on many levels. But as a caregiver, we need to be careful about these. So first, can you define what transference and countertransference is and then, and then tell us what we need to do about them? Yes, they're kind of, they sound like technical words, but they're really not that complicated. Uh, what it is is that when uh, the, the classical way of looking at it is that you go to a counselor, say, or to a therapist, and um, when you go to them, uh, the, when you first see them, you might, it may, they may remind you of somebody, you know, or that their whole situation may remind you of something, like you're going to this doctor's office that may, going to a doctor's office may do something to you in itself. And if you come to that person then, and you have these feelings and thoughts about them, that is, that's what's called transference. What you're doing is transferring experiences of your past and people of your past to this situation. You're imagining it. You know, even without thinking much about it, you may be reacting to them through those particular fantasies. And the trouble with the helper is that the helper then, whoever it is, a counselor, may feel this transference. Like, let's say someone goes to a man and, and treats the man as a father figure. That's kind of the classic, you know, easy way of looking at it. Um, it's very possible that the therapist or the counselor will, will pick that up and be unconscious about it and just begin acting like a father to this person. And you get locked in this, this kind of a little drama, you know, that's taking place. That's the transference and the counter-transference from the, from the uh, counselor. So what you have to do if you are uh, certainly a professional, I think amateurs can, can pick this up easily too, 
you just notice for those kinds of uh, developments. And you notice that someone is seeing you through the lens of their past in some way. And so you, you, first of all, you say, well, I'm not going to play that role, you know, because that's just going to keep us stuck for a long time. So what you do, you have to, first of all, you have to be able to spot it when it happens. And secondly, you have to be able to pull out of it. That's not so easy sometimes. It's very beguiling sometimes to be a person's parent figure or lover figure or something like that, or even an authority figure. There's so many possibilities there. But anyway, uh, you have to be very cautious when you talk to somebody that you don't get caught in one of these little dramas that is set up uh, where the trouble is you can't then be a real person with them because you're acting a certain role. You can't even really be a therapist with them if you're, if you're also playing mother or father or some other role. That's right. That's right. You can't do it. And it sounds funny, maybe, but it's so easy, and it happens all the time. And it not only happens with a counselor and someone who's coming for some guidance, it happens between a husband and wife or friends. And, you know, it can happen between anybody. Whenever people come together, usually you bring some sort of fantasy about them. And uh, sometimes it's very heavy. It's a very heavy uh, story that you're bringing with you when you're talking to someone. So you have to be careful so that you don't act that out with them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you also speak in the book of, of, of several of the elements of therapy as vessels. Can you explain this and why it's important to build the vessel? Yes, I get that language from Carl Jung, who uh, used alchemy in his uh, work a great deal. And in alchemy, what goes on there, it's uh, it's an old practice where people used to use um, materials, like just stuff, like liquids and uh, chemicals and and just uh, uh, stuff, like uh, uh, maybe just water or liquids or solids, and put them in a vessel and heat them up and look and see how the colors change and they even had uh, sort of fantasies about what they're looking at in this. It's almost like looking at a little video when you look into the vessel. And Jung thought that when people talk to each other therapeutically, that they are in a vessel also. They're in a container of some kind. The relationship itself is a container, and maybe even the building or the room in which you're working might be the container for the therapy. So what I do in that chapter is talk about how to help somebody, creating a good vessel is a good starting point. So you decide where and when to meet. That's part of the vessel. Um, you don't just go to a public place and have a, have a cup of coffee and talk because it's not tight enough. It's not closed up enough to really be able to have an intimate conversation. So you pay a lot of attention to the vessel. Uh, you may also let let the person know that that you can keep secrets and that what you say between you there is not going to go to anybody else. It's just going to be between the two of you. That helps create the vessel. The room where you meet and the place you meet uh, can uh, create a vessel. I, I, re- uh, I remember, I think I mentioned this in the book, I can't remember, but I used to meet a client who uh, lived uh, quite a distance away, and he would fly in, and we would meet at the airport. And that was, you know, was a challenge to find a good vessel there <laughs> because it's so public. 
So we would find the, a, a place that was that was private, and we would be careful about that, and then we'd feel okay about it and talk for an hour or so, and then he would fly back home. That was what I'm saying there is that sometimes the the vessel is a bit of a challenge to create, but you can do that, and uh, and but it's still very important that you that you have that uh, enclosed space where you can meet and talk and be private. Yeah, I like so much thinking about the vessel because it 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 implies that there's uh, there's something being contained, and it feels very sacred that you're containing something That's very right. sacred. It is. It's a sacred container. Sometimes we use the word, there's a word from religion, temenos, which means a special place set aside for ritual or for meditation, something like that. So the vessel is like that. It's creating a space for a special event. What's going to happen in this vessel has a great deal of importance and depth and, as you could say, sacredness to it. And so you, you build this vessel very carefully and with a great respect for the process that's going to take place there. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, well, we have talked a little bit about the vessel. We've talked about transference and countertransference, and we've talked about uh, the vehicle of change, which you see as a, uh, the symptom as a vehicle of change. There's more, so much more to talk about here with regard to the uh, soul therapy and we're going to be doing that in just a few minutes we'll be right back after the break to talk some more with Thomas Moore it's your world motivate change succeed voiceamericaempowerment.com Broaden your mind. Open your heart for a greater understanding of how to express your pure and authentic nature. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Simran, author, publisher, and life mentor, broadens minds and opens hearts to a greater understanding of life, consciousness, and humanity. 1111 Talk Radio is every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. 1111 Talk Radio. You are not on a journey. You are the journey. You are experience experiencing itself. On Living Strong, the flip side of adversity, Dr. Veerdra Jackson presents stories and powerful guest experts from business, health, relationships, and faith. Every story has its flip side, and we are here to delve into the story and challenge you to view what has kept you in a singular mindset and turn it into the flip side. When you can effectively do that, you'll experience necessary growth. Tune in live every Thursday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You have the power to be stronger, live fearlessly, and enjoy the benefits of a great life. Listen for Fearlessly Authentic with host Jody Harrison Bauer. Jody has proven at an age when many start to slow down that she is just getting started. With two grown daughters, a successful business that she started at 50, a finalist in the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue, and a two-time world bikini champion, she's ready to take you to the next level in your life. Fearlessly Authentic airs Thursdays at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Empowerment. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. 
listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now toll-free, 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthews.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back talking today to Thomas Moore about his book, Soul Therapy, The Art and Craft of Caring Conversations. And we've talked about several different things, elements of that therapy, including the symptom and some countertransference and trans- transference and countertransference, stories and myths. Um, and uh, now I want to just ask, oh, in the vessels as well. We talked about that as well. I want to ask you, you said uh, in the book that therapists are not allowed to be unconscious, that we, that, that. In that role, we're not just regular people. We're not allowed to be unconscious. And I'm, I'm really glad you said that because it really does uh, encourage us to, to, to be really conscious. So in, in that sense, then, how do we maintain some, some level of serenity in that role as therapists? Uh, I, I make the point that being you know, having the serenity and neutrality is another word I use. It's very important for the therapist uh, because... Um, it's very easy for when you listen to somebody who's going through a tough time in life to get excited or to want to rush into a solution, something like that. I think it's terribly important as a therapist to have your own serenity so that you don't get thrown by whatever is being discussed. Uh, sometimes, you know, people will bring up issues that you yourself have trouble with. Um, and, you know, that's interesting but it can get in the way. So you need that neutrality, not to, uh, uh, not to respond unconsciously just out of your emotions or just out of like a quick fix idea, something like that. You have to really be able to, to be calm and listen and not be, not be upset by what's being said. And I think that's something that a therapist can, can uh, work on. Like you can, you can, uh, Develop your life in such a way, and by the way, you know, the, a therapist, uh, whatever kind you are, you have to use yourself. I mean, you're the instrument, you know, yourself. So you have to work on that. And I think you can develop a certain serenity in life. And that's, I think, a very good tool to have when someone comes to you. Because if you're both too excited and you both kind of spout off about things, you're not going to get anywhere. Someone has to be self-possessed and contained. Yeah, good point. Very good point. Yeah, so so we have to we have to do the work on ourselves, and that's why so many times they recommend that therapists get therapy. That's right. I think that's part of it, and I do think that's a very good idea. I also very much like the practice for therapists that they have a, what they call a supervisor. It's probably not the best word, but someone who can guide them. They can bring their their situations to them and get some feedback. That's also very helpful. But then there also are the just the day-to-day habits you might have, even things like dining well. You know, I mean, I, I know people talk a lot about eating well and eating healthy, which is important. But I like the idea of dining well, where you you get relaxed and you maybe can, especially if, you know, COVID ever leaves us to to be able to have a, uh, you know, to be able to eat with with friends and have that uh, peace and 
and that calming that comes from uh, those kind of daily activities. And maybe, um, you know, a lot of people do different things. They garden or they do art and craft. Um, they meditate. They listen to music. They perform music. Uh, they go for walks. They're all these things. They're very simple, but they can actually help create the serenity that the therapist needs. Yeah, absolutely. So you've mentioned listening a couple of different times as we've talked, but I want to just kind of look at the look at that concept now, the idea of listening when we're doing soul therapy. Tell us a little bit about that process. Uh, well, the first thing I suppose is to realize from the very beginning that your that your job, the best you can do to help somebody, is to listen very closely to what they're saying. as I said before, to know that they're going to say things and they won't understand what they're saying. They won't won't hear what they're saying so much. You have to hear more than what they say. So your, your hearing has got to be, it's not like physical hearing, it's more like hearing with your imagination and and hearing things that you that you know are important that the person may not feel are terribly important. So that's one thing. And you might notice for th- things like memories uh, that people might bring up, that's, I would think your ears would, uh, would twitch when you hear someone bring up a memory because that's an important thing. It's an important part of this kind of conversation because we are so affected by things that happened in our past. And another thing that I think is terribly important and people don't usually talk about is listening to yourself as a therapist. In other words, paying attention to how you are responding to what's being said. Now, that's very important because, first of all, it gives you a hint as to the emotions that are being expressed. If someone is expressing something that makes you feel sad, then you know right away something about the emotion that is being expressed. And you may not pick it up otherwise, so you have to pay attention to your own reactions, sometimes even your physical reactions. And learn from them uh, what what is being said in a deep way by the other person. And also you want to pay attention to see if you are reacting so that uh, something may upset you that's being said. Some, as I said before, something may be said that brings up memories of your own. You get into that transfer thing, you know, with people. And uh, so if you're not listening closely to yourself, you may not realize what's happening. You've got to know what's going on. Uh, You can't be unconscious as you listen to a person talk about things that are important to them. It's about what's going on between you, and that's very important because that's part of the healing. If you have a process going on between you, like let's say the other person begins to trust you because they realize that you are someone who's not going to be upset by what they say. I just heard that today from somebody. They said, I hope that what I'm saying is not not upsetting to you. And I thought, well, that didn't even occur to me, but I can see that they are worried that I might have an emotional reaction to what they're saying and and not uh, not appreciate it. So that's the kind of thing you have to watch out for. You have to be able to talk to a person and listen to them in a way that they know that you are not going to be thrown by it, that you have a... I like to to think sometimes that a therapist should have a very broad basket, you know, a really broad container, so that 
that they can hear things from people that maybe in ordinary conversation might be shocking or might be very disturbing. I think as a therapist, you've got to really train yourself to the point where you are not thrown by hearing things that are disturbing. You have to you have to have a very broad containment there where you can you can hear things and and not be upset yourself about them. That's a very very big part of listening carefully. Very important. So one of the things that happens often in therapy is exploration of a person's childhood. So how does that factor into soul therapy? Uh, your childhood is, here's the way I see it, your childhood doesn't really go away. I mean, people, today we tend to think developmentally. That's how we, we think. We think that we have our childhood, our adolescence, our young adult, adulthood, they're gone. They affect us, but they're gone. We've gone, we pass them by. I don't think that's the way it works. In a way, it's these, these times in your life build on each other. And your childhood is really always with you. Or you might say that that child that you were still has a place in your psyche. And so when, when, uh, when, you're, when, when as a therapist I'm listening to someone talk about their childhood, I don't think that they're just talking about their past. They're talking about the childhood that lives now in the present. So I want to pay very close attention to that. It's not that I'm trying to dig up the past to, to try to understand or figure out the person. That's not the idea. It's to be in touch with that childhood that still is alive and present. And I think that attitude can really make the therapy very interesting, first of all, because you are encountering these things uh, head on. Uh, but also, it is. Um, I think you actually uh, get more from these stories from earlier in your life when you think of them that way instead of just from the past. Yeah, I really like that concept of being able to look at the child, uh, that the childhood that's still living presently, and there, and that's a bunch of memories and imagination thing, um, things that come from their imagination, a bunch of stories and a bunch of myths all conglomerated into one figure. Yes, and it's, it's who you are, like that person, when they talk about their childhood, that's who they are. That child is alive in them now. It sounds like the past, but it isn't. Uh, uh, Hillman used to say, James Hillman used to say, that memory is a way of imagining yourself. It's not, it's not a recording. It's not like playing a tape. It's more like the way you have from your past experience of imagining yourself now. And I think that's a more effective way to, uh, to listen to childhood stories. They're very vivid. They're alive. They're very meaningful. And you don't just say, oh, you know, oh, you know, so what? You know, this is what happened. This is what is happening. And you have to realize that you are encountering this person's child and childhood right now in the present as they tell you their stories. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. So, okay, we talk about complexes. Carl Jung talked about complexes, and Hillman talked about complexes. What is a complex, and how do we begin to deal with them in soul therapy? Well, a complex is, according to Jung, a complex is... Um, a group of emotions and memories and um, ideas, experiences, relationships, all coming together like in a bundle. 
This complex is like a bundle. And, um, but it, it, it's, it's all these things that are so real in us that uh, they seem like another person. And he said that the complexes are little people. That's the way he described them. They're like little people inside of us. So the better to have, it's best, I think, to have an example. And the one that most people know is an inferiority complex. So maybe most people would understand that you can just be going about your business and you're, you meet somebody and you talk to them and you suddenly begin to feel inferior. Like, well, I didn't go to school. You know, I didn't, I didn't, I don't, not as educated as this person or I don't have, a, I haven't read all these books or. Um, I haven't really accomplished that much in my life, and I don't make that much money. All these things that make you feel inferior, so that it's almost like a, a cloud forms, and it's like another person in you. You can't, you can't do much about it because it is so strong. This feeling of inferiority, someone can tell you, well, just get rid of it. You're, not, you're a great person. Don't worry about it. That doesn't help because it is so deep and so strong. Now, if you imagine that most people have maybe a dozen or so complexes, maybe more, uh, life gets rather interesting but complicated that way. So when you're trying to work with somebody and help them, you, you are going to encounter their complexes. Uh, some people may have a mother complex or a parent complex where they, they need to uh, maybe mother everybody that they meet. You know, that's just the way they, they are. And, you tell them to stop doing that, and they just can't because it's a complex. It's like a possession. It possesses you, and at first, anyway, you, it's very hard to do anything about it. And part of therapy is to deal with those complexes. They are so deep, and they're like a, other people in us that that's where the soul issue comes. It's like the soul is made of all of these people that we are, and... Uh, they have so much power over us that we have to work hard to be able to, I don't think you can get rid of them ever, really fully get rid of them, but you can uh, weave them into your life so that they serve you. Uh, maybe they still cause some trouble, but they can, if you work at it, they cause less trouble as your life goes on. Yeah, and isn't ownership a huge part of that? Just being able to own, oh, I see that I'm doing that. That's an important thing. I think it's a it's an important step to take, but I'm not sure that it is. It can't be the last step because that is not enough. You know, it's it's an important first step to own it. Uh, yeah, if you can't own that to that, then you, it's going to bother you forever, and you're not going to get anywhere with it. On the other hand, that's probably not enough. Uh, you need to explore it and see what it is asking of you, and maybe how you can. Uh, work that complex so that it is it favors you, it helps you rather than gets in your way. Uh, like this inferiority thing, the way I do it, I go, what I said before, I go with the symptom. If someone is, has an inferiority complex and they just feel bad about themselves no matter what, I don't try to cheer them up. I try to find out, like maybe, well, what's going on that you do feel bad about? What do you regret? You know, what are the things that you wish you could have changed or you could change? Uh, I'm going into the symptom that way. You see, I'm going into the inferiority and saying, I wonder what that is telling you. Is there something you need to hear from it? 
instead of just cheerleading and saying, oh, come on, don't be inferior. You're a better person than that. So we, we go into the symptom, and that is what I would call soul work. So the symptom is wanting something. It wants to deliver a message of some sort to us. I think so, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and it it wants it wants you to adapt to it, to change, to learn from it, and uh, and and move somewhere. Yeah, yeah. So what that what what the shift is here between just what most people do in therapy of trying to, um, I mean, uh, trying to get to manage life, to be able to cope with life, which is one of the things that our therapists are taught to do. Uh, to teach people how to how to uh, appropriate coping mechanisms and how to manage life in a in a healthy way, the shift is now toward um, looking deeper into the soul and to try to find out what's what what am I really saying to myself as I live my life? Yes, you want to know what am I made of? What are the things that have made me who I am today? What about the people that I? grew up with, and how did they influence me, and how are they still in me in some way, still speaking to me? See, part of the soul thing is that soul is other. It's like it it gives you your identity and a sense of self, but at the same time, it's other. It's like, oh, I have my soul, but it's not exactly me. You know, it's, it's, it's there for me, but it's not exactly identified with me. And it's the same with these complexes. They're, they're in me, but they're not exactly me. I feel them as other. Like this, this uh, parent that keeps coming in, I keep mothering people. I don't want to do that, but I do it, I do it anyway. So it's okay. like this person is in me. Okay. So let's take a break now, and we'll be right back with more from Thomas Moore about his book, Soul Therapy. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Things Worth Considering featuring host Gord Riddell and Alexia Georgiousis is a program that's all about connections. The connections we make with our families, our workplaces, friends, and others around us. It's also about connections to ourself, spirit, feelings, and stories. Let us connect with you each week to explore who we are and what we can be moving forward. We can overcome the obstacles that stand in our way. Things Worth Considering airs live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Empowerment. Tune in each week for Advancing All Women, hosted by Sarah Alter, the President and CEO of Network of Executive Women. Hear top executives and experts talk the most pressing topics for women in the workplace. From advancing women of color to developing and engaging male allies to how to navigate the new workplace post-COVID-19, Sarah will cover it all as she and her guests dig into these key issues. Listen every Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Empowerment or catch our replays weekly on Voice America Influencers. Are you looking for life's answers? How about the meaning of true self? 
Can you really be a better person overnight? Well, good luck with that. Now, if you really want to know more about this insane world and life we lead, tune into Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. You'll learn about how the brain operates under different psychological conditions. Some common sense. Heck, you might just actually learn something. Listen Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now toll-free, 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthews.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back talking again today to Thomas Moore about his book, Soul Therapy, The Art and Craft of Caring Conversations, where he teaches us how to, how to care for the soul of other people. And um, so one of the things I want to know is how involved should the therapist be in this whole process of therapy? Should we just attribute this to the work of the client and say, well, the client's got to do all the work or... How involved should we be in this process? Uh, I think you have to be uh, deeply involved. I don't. I don't see how you can do it any other way. I have been so far talking, you know, because I think it's part of this process. Talking about more the mechanics of this uh, soul work, um, but it, ultimately, it's a very deep and mysterious thing that you do, and uh, therefore, it involves, I think, some risk risk on the part of the one who's helping. And uh, you have to get involved. Um, it's like you're using yourself as the therapeutic instrument and the tool. You know, it's yourself. It's not your ideas and it's not techniques. And it really, it doesn't, it's, that's not enough. You have to be present in a way that is genuine and real. There's a, there's a Buddhist teaching that I often uh, refer to where the the Buddha says, um, you heal by your presence. And I think that's a very rich idea because you don't heal with your words or your alone or your techniques or your understanding. The, the, the healing process and the healing of the soul is not, is not accomplished by understanding and figuring yourself out or figuring someone else out. It's about the interchange between you the person senses something in you that is healing, and they know that you've that you've been in the, been in life uh, uh, openly and honestly, and they develop a trust in you, and uh, that's important. That image they have of who you are is extremely important to their healing, and so how you do that is quite a mystery. You know, it's something you have to you have to read about, and you have to. Uh, you have to be taught, and you have to try. You have to try it for a long time. I don't think you become a soul therapist overnight. It takes a while to develop that. But ultimately, then, it means that you are you are really involved in the process. And if you're not involved, people will see that nothing will happen. Yeah, absolutely. Nothing will happen. And, uh, and 
the that whole thing of presence I think is just huge. I I, I really think that being present with our own awareness of ourselves and being present with the our awareness of what's going on in the room and being present with the other person is is something that happens as a triad and it, it happens all at once and it's a it is mysterious yes it's 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 quite mysterious and i think the there's a lot that goes on one of the things that happens is that the person who's who is in therapy um looks and sees things. They really see a lot that maybe the therapist doesn't realize. And they see whether or not the therapist is afraid or is is confused, things like that. Um, I, there's nothing wrong with being confused at times, but if that's your general point of view, you're, you're, kind of, you're probably in trouble, you know. It's not the way to do it. So people will see if they can if they can trust your your calm and your your insight, and um, the fact that you are not uh, frightened by what is going on and that you are willing to be right in there and not go away from it. that I tell you, that is what I hear from my clients. That's one of the most important things, that you are going to be there. You're not going to run away. Uh, no matter what happens, what is said. And I think it takes a while for a person to open up and by a while, I mean it might take years. You know, it might take more than a year for someone to really get to a point where they can say what is really going on with them. So that can only happen if you develop trust over a long period of time. Yeah, and sometimes that means not talking about, uh, it means allowing the client to go where the client is ready to go and not push the client to talk about you know, an uh, old childhood abuse or, you know, those are difficult issues until they're ready. That's right. And and the, that's an interesting question, too, about the abuse that's so common uh, that um, I think you don't want to be, think, well, no, this person's been abused. That explains everything. It doesn't. It doesn't. You have to, uh, it's always individual. Um, and you you really have to you can't use abuse as the explanation for all kinds of troubles that people get into it definitely uh causes trouble but you can't use it as the only thing so you have to take your time let a person as you say um narrate uh uh get it off their chest tell what has happened to them and then uh not be either not be um upset by it, and also not think, well, now that's the explanation. Now from now, this is what we're going to talk about. No, a person is more than being abused. There's more to their life than that, and especially the positive side. I mean, I have dealt with people, and I'm sure you have, Andrew, who, who are so abused that they can't, they can't make it in life. You know, they, I, I've, I've had people who been in hospital wards that just can't can't get into life because of the abuse. However, uh, you can you can stay with that and deepen it and not reduce the person to that. Uh, one thing I think, if there's any secret I've had of dealing with that extreme abuse, it has been not to reduce a person to the abuse, but to see who they are in a much bigger way and to relate to them as a bigger person. And then they have some hope in life, and they're not just this 
victim of abuse. Exactly. Yes. So um, let's talk about spiritual direction as well. And one of the things I love about soul therapy and I love about Carl Jung's work is that it does include the spiritual element. It does include the soul. But what you talk about in the book is actually combining soul therapy and spiritual direction. So can you say a little bit about that? Well, you know, Andrea, I was a monk for 13 years of my life. It was a long time ago, but it's, it's as though it happened yesterday. You know, it's still part of me. And I'm very, very interested in the spiritual life and in spiritual direction. And to me, what I was taught, even then, long ago, when I was a monk, I was taught that, that the spiritual life is part of the life of the soul. It's a part of it. It's not separate from. So when I talk about soul therapy, as I would do it, I would include spiritual direction as part of it. I don't see how you can separate those things. It's like dividing a person into all these parts. They're not. Everyone has, has some spiritual issues, like the meaning of their life, values, trying to develop a sense of values, wonder about what life is all about, and wonder about a death and afterlife. These are all very important things. The power of prayer, um, uh, the, the uh, how to meditate or contemplate, how to live a good life. This is all part of the life of the soul, but it's the spiritual side of it. And I, what I do when I teach uh, soul therapy, and I've done it for years and years, I include a section always on spiritual direction. And I tell the therapist I'm teaching that your job is also to care for the spirit, not just the, the psyche. And you may not realize that, but let's talk about that possibility and see how you might become more sophisticated in that way. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yes. I think the spiritual element has just got to be there because if not, it, we're not working with the whole person. It's so important. It's, uh, it's like, you know, you can, you can deal with some of the issues that come up in your life if you have this opening to the mysterious and the infinite and you know, the eternal if you don't, then you live a very tight, closed-off life. And I don't think then, when you're doing that, you can't really deal with these big issues that come at you. Before we close out the show today, I want to talk a little bit about how to care for the soul of the soul therapist, because there's so much more we could talk about, but I think that's real important. How do you care for the soul of the soul therapist? Yes, I, I always, uh, whenever I teach, I always have that as the end part of my teaching. How do you care for the therapist? And you um, mentioned before, it's probably very useful for a therapist, maybe essential to be in therapy, in, in some form, in some form, in therapy, to be able to explore themselves and know that, so that they're not acting out all over the place. Another thing is that, the, as I said before, a therapist has, has to have this serenity of heart that, um, where they are not, they're not thrown by what they hear. And they are able to give confidence and support and strength to their clients. And that can't be done just by using words. You have to, you have to, you have to have it in you and let the, you know, they will see it. I don't even think you can, you can probably, you know, help them see it. They will see it no matter what. You have to have it in you when you, when you do this work. It's, it's quite a challenge, but I think it's, very possible and an important part of it. 
the other thing is that we're, we're, we have an impossible job. You know, it's, we're talking about how to help people with the meaning of their lives. I mean, who can do that? It's, uh, it's, it, no one can do that completely. It's beyond one person to be able to, to help a person that way. So uh, what we have to do then is realize that um, our feelings of inadequacy or our feelings of failure, uh, the overwhelming nature of some of the matters that come up and we have to deal with, um, all of these things can be upsetting and you may wonder if you're if you should continue your work and you know, it may affect your your calm your your own calm and you may your life may be ups, may be uh, kind of upset because of it so that for that reason it's very important for the therapist to daily take care of his his or her life and that means things like as i said dining well eating well but also dining well um taking care of uh the, the, your soul, what helps your soul? Some people walking does it. Uh, for some people, it might be running. It might be uh, going out into the forest and the woods, going on water. You have to know who you are and what will calm you and keep you, keep you steady as you do this difficult work. And you have to study and learn. You know, find some really good teachers. There are a lot of, there, there are a lot of good teachers around, but there are also a lot of bad ones. And you've got to use your intelligence and don't waste your time with anything that is not worth your effort. You have to really be discerning who to listen to and what books to read and what uh, workshops to go to and things like that. I, I have the feeling that that's, that that's something that people don't do too well. They, they catch on to the latest fad and uh, they go after it. And that's a waste of time. I think you have to really... Be very cautious and careful how you educate yourself in this process. Thomas, thank you so much for being here today. This has been really wonderful to talk about your book. And I really encourage anyone who wants to be a helper for other people to get this book, Soul Therapy, The Art and Craft of Caring Conversations. Um, and we're going to be back again next week with more well, from Authentic Living. And remember, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself. Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We'll talk again next week. 